Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I just told him we could have prayed that out loud too. I mean, don't just pray that in your heart because sometimes your mouth, your ears need to hear. You know, it's one thing to pray it in our hearts, but it's another to actually declare it with the mouth. <clears throat> it is with the heart you believe in the mouth you confess and you are saved. Something to that. I don't know. It's in the Bible somewhere. I know where it is. Romans 10, 9 and 10. So it was funny the other week at House of Prayer, um, Pastor Mark's like, Romans 12, 11. Does anyone know Romans 12, 11? Pastor, and I did. Uh, that was. I'm glad he didn't ask some obscure one like Psalm 82, 6 or something. Or I'd be like, uh, I don't have the whole book memorized, but uh, never be lacking in zeal. Uh, it's hard to not memorize that one, right? So, all right. How y'all doing? Good. It's good to be here, and uh, we're glad you're here. And if you're wondering why I'm on a rotating chair, it's a lot of fun. No. <laughs> No, I usually sit on a stool, but I've, been had, I've had some back problems, and so it's actually more comfortable to be on the stool. And uh, yeah, I just didn't want to go back to the other one yet, just in case. So um, last, the last two weeks, I shared a message called 2020 Vision that if you're new here, it really kind of talks about who we are as a church. Um, we don't believe we're like a lot of other churches. We're a little bit different. Uh, we feel like we're doing what God said in his word to do, what he's put in our heart to do, to reach out to our community, to make a difference here. And um, so I, I kind of outlined that over the last two weeks. You'll find that on our podcast. You'll find CDs out at the Welcome Center. Uh, you'll find it on our Facebook page. So if you want to listen, if you want to get an idea for that, um, I'd love to sit down with you just yesterday, I went through a timeline with our leaders um, from 2010 up through 2020. And uh, when I put that together over the last couple of weeks, was surprised at all of the ways God has brought some stuff together and uh, the things that he's doing. So if you want to have coffee and we'll go even deeper into it, I'd do that too. So just to give you an idea of who we are and uh, why we'd love you to be a part of Restoration Church and what we're doing. So our Bible reading plan for this last week, if you were a part of that, you know it was called Next Steps Give. <clears throat> In just a little bit, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what it means to live generously. That's the title of the message today, Live Generously. Um, but tomorrow, we're going to start the Bible study called The God I Never Knew, by Robert Morris, and it's a 20, I believe it's a 28-day study. We're going to take a couple weeks and talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what that's like, and we're going to try to get outside of our preconceived ideas, because if you grew up in church at all, you either have a positive idea that could be wrong about how the Holy Spirit works, or a negative idea that could be wrong and is wrong if it's negative about how the Holy Spirit works. So uh, we're going to talk through what the Bible says. Robert Morris is going to help that. And uh, so read it every day, and then we'll be talking about it here um, on Sunday mornings too. And so we are going to get into the untold story, and those books will be available to purchase um, here in a couple weeks. And that's going to give, it's kind of like a textbook. I know that excites some of you and makes some of you just want to throw things. Um, it's a textbook that really gives you the background of the, the Bible so that you can understand it a little bit more. And we are probably going to start that in April and may not finish it until December. 
Like we're going to go through the New Testament and look at a lot of different passages and books. And um, it's not going to be the same theme because it's the Bible. I mean, it talks about a lot of different stuff. But um, that book could be helpful to you and those will be available to purchase soon. So today, live generously. And uh, if you've got a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to go. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 967. I am going to put the, the scripture passage on the screen today because the Bible in front of you is a New Living Translation. I'm going to use the New, the new International Version. I for, even forgot what it was called. Um, I almost called it the Non-Inspired Version um, because I had a professor in college that called it that. Um, he was joking, of course, but uh, we all have our favorites. But today I just felt like the NIV said it a little bit better, and so we're going we're gonna to look at that. <coughs> Excuse me. Got that frog in my throat that maybe I should get rid of. Um, let me just give a, a big shout out to Matt Niedebomber and Thrive It and Financial for the shirt today, Live Generously. Live Generously is actually the theme of Thrive It Financial, and their mission is to help give financial guidance to believers who want to invest, who want to give, who want to prepare for retirement, who want to use the money that they have uh, according to God's word. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> excuse me, that's their goal. And uh, they also do things in the community. If you <clears throat> have an account with Thrive and Financial, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually apply for what's called an, um, I believe it's an action team. And you can get a $250 grant, a gift card, a Visa gift card, to do a community event that serves or benefits people in the community. Um, we've used them for Royal Family camp, Kids Camp fundraisers, the Easter egg fundraiser we do. I use it for my James Valley Road Race to raise money for the school. Uh, we've used it here to update our youth center area. Um, we've actually made some improvements to that. We've used it at the state fair to buy bottled water to give away at the state fair outreach. And so uh, they can be used in a lot of different ways. So it's not just about money. Live generously, even for Thrivent, is about even using money, using our lives to better the community, better the lives of others around us. That's what it means to live generously. And I don't want that to get lost because the devotion this last week was called Next Steps Give. And it did lay some of the groundwork that we're going to talk about today about finances. But it's not just about money. It's not just about how we give. It's how we serve. It's how we live. It's how we pray. Because we serve an excessive God. He doesn't do things just enough. He is more. You are more. You are more than enough. He's always more than enough. The, the scripture says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, how great the love the Father has lavished on us. Not trickled on us, not, you know, given just enough of a, lavished means excessive. He's been excessive. James chapter 1 says, if we lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. So you need wisdom and God's like, well, no, you made that mess yourself, so you figure it out. That's what it means to find fault. But when you say, God, I made a mess, I need wisdom right now. He's like, I give liberally wisdom, more than enough. It's like he smears it all over you, more than enough. John chapter 3, verse 16, he gave his best, his one and only son. Revelation 13, 8 said he crucified his son even before the foundation of the earth. Meaning that before God ever said, let there be light, Jesus was crucified. 
So it's not like God created the earth and then when man fell, he had to decide what to do. He already knew going in what it was going to cost. That is what it means to live generously. So when we as believers understand that our God is generous and he lives inside of us by his spirit, how can we go to work and just do the minimum? Well, my boss didn't tell me to do that. I don't get paid to do that. That's outside of my responsibility. Do you know who lives in you? In fact, the Bible even says, don't do your work for your boss. Do it as unto the Lord. Don't do it to get noticed by man or get rewarded by men. Do it for the Lord. So when we give minimum effort or when we have minimum involvement in our community or in our church, that doesn't reflect the generous God that we serve. Hey, I'm doing enough. I mean, I, I'm following the laws, following the commandments. You have yet to know the generosity of our God because he's excessive. And sometimes we're afraid to be excessive because we're like, well, then there won't be enough for me. Again, you have yet to know our excessive God because he's more than enough. And so we're going to really look at money today more than anything, but it applies to everything. So you're going to have to make that application on your own. I trust the Holy Spirit can do that for you. And I know that money is a touchy subject and it makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about money in church. Trust me, it makes me, well, it used to make me uncomfortable. And I'll tell you in a a little bit why it doesn't now. Um, Because money is an important one in scripture. And nothing, nothing reveals our heart like our checkbook and our calendar. I don't care what you say you believe. Show me your checkbook, show me your calendar, that's your priorities. Oh, but God knows my heart. Yep, and you don't. (laughs) He knows your heart, but we don't know our hearts because our hearts deceive us and we always think we're better than we are. So we want to live generously beyond the walls of our church. This isn't about just offering baskets. You should tip generously. If you can't tip generously, don't go out to eat. Go to McDonald's. You don't have to tip there. If the world tips better than us, that's a problem. And if our culture says you should tip 15 to 18%, do it. I don't give to people what I don't give to God. Then start raising what you give to God. Because if, if sinners are more generous than you, that's a problem. We have to be generous. I I know the frustration. I I like to order takeout at Buffalo Wild Wings, but now they've started asking you to tip for takeout. And I'm like, ah! You know, but somebody had to prepare that. Somebody had, and it's our culture today. If you don't, I don't like it, then I need to stop eating wings. Dear God, no. (laughs) I gotta be able to, if you go on cheap day, and then you, you can tip, But sometimes that blessing, and by the way, you don't tip based on performance. If you tip based on performance, you don't know God because he didn't love you based on performance. We cannot tip based on performance. And sometimes that tip, sometimes that blessing, giving people what they don't deserve, they know they don't deserve it. And that's the thing that opens them up to the love of God. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. If you've never 
been a part of Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey, our um, two churches in our community right now are offering that course. And I'd encourage you, find it on Facebook, find it on our Facebook page. We shared it. The First United Methodist Church is offering it starting tonight. The Huron Christian Church is starting it on February 9th. The cost is $100. Don't let cost stop you. If you need help, we'll try to find money from our help fund to scholarship you. I'll talk to those churches, and we'll work out a plan for you to make payments. We'll do whatever we can. If you will actually get in that course and apply the biblical principles to your life, it'll change everything. And if you're going to do it, we'll help you do it if you think you can't afford it. And so do that. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read this whole passage of Scripture. Um, it's actually two chapters because there are things that sometimes we believe in our mind about the Bible or about money that don't match the Bible. And so I'm just going to let the Word talk to us for a little bit, and then I'm going to give you a couple points, and then we'll be done. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. We want you to know about the grace, the ability that God has given the Macedonian churches. Okay, So there's churches over here in Macedonia. Corinth, I want you to know about the, the ability God has given them. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, <laughs> overflowing joy in a severe trial, wow, and their extreme poverty, that doesn't mean poverty of spirit, that means they don't have any money, okay? That's literally what that means, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So somehow God enabled them to actually give more than they were able to do. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us. Pleaded. <laughs> People in extreme poverty, severe trial, pleading with us the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. What is that service? Giving money. They were giving money to help the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. Well, I serve the Lord, but I don't give myself to people. Not biblical. Not biblical. In fact, our relationship with people proves where our relationship with God is or isn't. And I know like, we like to make excuses because we don't like how that looks, but it's time for us to repent and not make excuses. And so the crazy thing is, is Paul is using the testimony of this church over here, what they're doing, to encourage and challenge this church over here. So we take the words of Jesus, and Jesus says, whenever you give, give in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. No one should know what I'm giving. If you put it in the context of the scripture, that doesn't mean no one can ever know what you're giving. Because Paul's using this as an example right here. See, the crazy thing, in the Assemblies of God, we used to celebrate what all the other churches gave to missions in a year. But we had to stop doing that because people felt bad. That some other churches gave this much and we only gave this much and blah, blah, blah. We're together. And if Sioux Falls First Assembly gives $50,000 to mission, I'm a part of that. Even if I never gave in the offering. Why? Because we're brothers. We're partners in the assemblies of God. I don't have to be like, oh, they gave so much more than us. They're just proud. They're just... We're together. Why do we have to do this? The Bible does it. And so it's not biblical, that concept. So we urge Titus. 
just as he had made earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Remember, he's still talking about giving. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, your zeal, and in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace, the ability of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test (laughs) the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Can I tell you something? If I stood up here today and said, church, I'm not going to command you to give, but I'm going to test the sincerity of your love by comparing you to Mitchell. Some of you would run me out of here. And that's what Paul's doing. I'm not commanding you, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about his, what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were, not, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. See, it's not enough to, oh, we were willing, we, were, we had this desire. Finish it. So that your eager willingness to do it will be matched by your completion of it according to your, your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too Little. You know what always strikes me about the Old Testament and the New Testament here? So this is about the manna. God fed his people with manna, and they all gathered what they needed, and some, they had just enough. And Paul takes that passage, and he puts it here. That seems to violate what we do when we study Scripture. I don't understand that. I mean, I'm not going to take liberty to do that, but the, Old Testament, the New Testament writers do. Paul did it right here. That's crazy. So... If we think that we can only take what's black and white in the scripture and live according to it, we're going to miss some stuff. And that's, we're going to talk about how that applies to giving in the church here in a little bit. So, thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern that I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. It's funny because Paul earlier said that he was like, come on, guys, we got to get them to finish their work. But Paul, but Titus comes on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering. Okay, you got to remember, they're taking up big offerings and carrying it to Jerusalem in a time where there's a lot of lawlessness. I mean, the idea that they could be, that money could be stolen on the way, so they had to have people that were entrusted not to steal it themselves or not to lose it to others, and of course they trusted God to, to meet their needs as they traveled. So he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. We are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. 
We don't want to be frivolous with the funds that God brings to us. As a church, we want to make sure that we're doing the best with the funds we have, that we're making the best of what we need, what we're using for ourselves versus what we're giving to help others. That's a question that we've been asked, and that's something that we talked about over the last couple of weeks in uh, the Vision Sunday, over those last two servers. Verse 22, in addition... We are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and in honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. Do you understand that this is still all about giving? This is all about the offering that they promise to give and their ability to follow through with what they promise to do. That's what he's talking about. Why? Because money shows what we value and money shows where our trust is. Is my trust in my bank account or is my trust in God? Is, do I value myself more than others or am I willing to give as I'm able, sometimes even as a sacrifice to help and benefit others. So then he goes right into chapter 9, because Paul didn't write chapter 9, we did. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. Look how many times he says that, stuff like this. I know your eagerness to help. I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians. You should see the Corinthians, Macedonians. They were the first ones that wanted to help, and they, were, they, were, they made this generous offer, this generous gift. They're, they're going to follow through. I believe they're going to follow through. Telling them that since last year you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred up most of them to action. Why do we tell each other? Because it ins- Wow, if they did it, we could do it. Let's do it. But I'm sending the brothers in order Again, look at that. I'm sending the brothers. Titus is coming on his own, but I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. See, we boasted about you. We don't want you to prove us wrong, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. Did you, did you know all this was in there? See, when you read it in context, it really says a lot. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you again in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly promised. Then remember this. Oh, then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I know that there's an extreme teaching on if you sow a gift into my ministry, you will reap a miracle. And I know that people have said, if you give, God will give it back to you tenfold. But we have thrown out the baby with the bathwater. We have said that's a false prosperity gospel. We don't believe that. But right here it says, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And the whole context has been about money. So there's obviously some truth that we, because of our zeal to make sure we don't get excessive, we've thrown it out. And we're afraid 
to believe that if we sow generously, we will reap generously. Each should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, but their righteous, righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower... Bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And some people like to say, well, he, see, now he's talking about righteousness. No, he's still talking about money. He hasn't changed topics yet. Yes, it overflows into every area of our lives, but this is about money. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. It's not enough to confess we believe. We have to actually prove it by how we live. And for your generosity and sharing with them and everyone else in their prayers for you in their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So the question that we're going to ask now is how should we give? As New Testament Christians, based on that, based on what the Bible says, and I'm about to blow you away with scripture verses. So what you're going to need to do is just write down the references. So you can write them down because I don't want you to take my word for it. And here's the thing. If you, whatever you decide about giving, make sure it comes from God and not from you. Make sure it's not your opinion, my opinion, what you feel like, what you think is reasonable. Study the word, pray into the word, and do what God says. And if you can come to that conclusion, then we're all going to be fine. Okay? So, we're going to talk about this thing called tithe. The word tithe is not a church word for giving. Okay? It is a word that means Tenth, tenth, ten percent. The word tithe is found throughout the scriptures. Sometimes in your translations, you won't see it. You'll see things like tenth. It's the word tithe that has been put into an English version so you understand it as tenth. So oftentimes people will say, my tithe is actually not 10% of my income. It's No, that's not a tithe. That's an offering. Okay? And you can give an offering of whatever amount you want, but you cannot give a tithe of anything less than 10% because that's what it means. Okay? Not because I'm saying God said so. That's just what it means. Does that make sense? Okay. So the tithe first shows up in a place that we call pre-law. Okay? So in Genesis, before God gives the law to Moses in the book of Exodus, it shows up here in Genesis chapter 14. It says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe, of all the goods he had recovered. Now, if we go into the New Testament... Hebrews chapter 7, in addition, we might say that the Levites, 
We'll talk about this in the law. They were the people that collected the tithe in the law. The ones who collected the tithe paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected a tithe from him. Are you seeing the language here? Okay, there's no law to tithe. Abraham just does it. Why does he do it? I don't have that answer. You might need to pray into that one. But I see New Testament writers talking about Melchizedek collecting a tithe. And we hear that Melchizedek <clears throat> is the new priest that Jesus comes from. That's, that's what I know. So then we go to Genesis chapter 28. And one of Abraham's children says, this is Jacob, I have set this memorial pillar, I've set it up, and it will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth, a tithe of everything he gives me. I don't know where this is coming from, and we can make, we can make our ideas and suggestions, but I want you to know it shows up before the law, okay? We also know it's a part of the law, nobody argues that it's a part of the law. Nobody at all. Um, there's hundreds of scriptures I could give you, but we're just going to give you a couple. One that is probably the clearest is found in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there because some of the tithe is an offering. It's grain. It's meat. In his presence, this applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Why did God institute a tithe? So that people would realize that I am not my own supplier. And if I give God 10% from the beginning, off the top, it teaches me he's my supplier, not myself. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to foreigners living among you, the orphans and widows in your town, so that they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all you do. The tithe in the law was given to the Levites, the people that ran the temple, ran the sacrifices. They were the priests, and it was given to them to distribute to themselves so they didn't have to work outside jobs, so that they could take care of the temple and the sacrifices, and to give to orphans, widows, foreigners that were in need. That's what the tithe was used for. In Numbers chapter 18, give these instructions to the Levites. Remember, they take the tithes. When you receive from the people of Israel the tithes that I have assigned as your allotment, give a tithe of the tithes you receive. A tithe of the tithe. So as, as a pastor, if we take a tithe and I take a salary from that, I still tithe because I'm receiving a tithe. Does that make sense? That's what the Levites were doing. They got their income from a tithe, but they still had to tithe on it, even though it was a tithe to begin with. Because they also had to understand. Because they had to understand God was their supply. Why? Because there was going to come a time people were going to neglect tithing. And then Malachi, the prophet, comes on the scene. And the people are like, God, we pray. And, you don't, why do we? and God says this. Should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? And you ask, what do you mean? When did we cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Who are they due to? I thought it went to the Levites. God, this is God speaking, okay? He's the one that's saying, you were supposed to give this to me, to my Levites, and you didn't. 
So you're under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be food, enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The only place in the Bible God says, test me, is right there. And he says, I'll make 90% bigger than 100% if you give me the first tithe. That's what he says to the people in the law. So what does Jesus say? I mean, we got to find out what Jesus says because we want to follow Jesus. So Jesus does mention it. I mean, he doesn't in black and white say, give a tithe. But look at what he says. Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you religious, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. So they're out there, they're bringing their herbs up, nine herbs for me, well actually, excuse me, one herb for God, nine herbs for me. One herb for God, nine herbs for me. That's what they're doing. They're, they're careful to tithe everything, even their, their tiny herbs. That's what he says. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. Words of Jesus. But do not neglect the more important things. Now, I know that some people say, but wait, after his resurrection, we're not, that's, that's all passed away, and so we, we shouldn't do it. But because for me, because it's pre-law, and because of the excessive giving that we just read about in 2 Corinthians, I still think the tithe is a starting place. I, think, I still think a tithe teaches us to trust the Lord and cuts the, the, the ties of greed and materialism off of our lives and helps us remember he's our supplier and not our job or our boss. I still think that's a good thing. In fact, the apostle Paul about Jesus in Acts 20 says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, Jesus himself said it this way in Luke 6, give and you will receive. Your gift will return in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The measure you give will be the measure you get back. Now again, we can take that to an extreme and say, if, well, if I give $10, I'm going to get 10 plus whatever back. It's not, if you give to get, you're not giving. That's not giving, okay? If you're giving out of trust, out of obedience, the Lord says, I've, I will do it. I'll make sure you have enough. But we always wonder if we'll have enough. Then I love this. Again, because we don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. We shouldn't, know, no one else should know how much I give. And yet Jesus and his disciples stand at the temple and watch people drop in their gifts. I'm not advocating that we all gather around the baskets and watch. But be careful when you say, the Bible clearly says, no one should know what I'm giving. It doesn't say that. In fact, what you give actually can overflow for others to be generous. So, this poor widow comes in, she drops in two small coins. But the rich people were dropping in big gifts. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. Why? Because God deals in percentages, not in amounts. Because you could give $10,000 and not feel it. And someone else to give $100 could be devastating. 
but they're trusting God. And it's, that's what God sees. That level of faith, that level of trust, that's what Jesus says. Because they've given from their surplus, but she's given everything she has. So, that's what Jesus says about giving. What does the early church say about giving? Let's look at the early church. What do they do? These are some of the, the craziest passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. But in Acts chapter 2, all of the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And all of the poor said, Amen. And all of the rich said, Well, that's not what that really means. I worked for what I have. Ooh, who's my supply? I mean, I know we worked hard. I, I'm not denying your hard work, but you didn't do that by the grace of God. Everything by the grace of God. So Acts chapter 4. There were no needy people among them. <laughs> we just read in our devotion this week, if, the, if every church member across the United States would tithe, we would alleviate world hunger. It's truth. That's all it would take. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them, bring the money to the apostles, and give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi. Tithe collectors? And came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money to the apostles. How did everybody know that? He's not supposed to let his giving be known. Okay. Galatians chapter 6. Look at this one. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. There it is again, sowing and reaping. And it's not hard for me to tell you that. People are like, well, you know, pastor, you know, that means you. I know, but here's the thing. You don't pay me. He does. And so I don't have a hard time telling people these things because it's not on you, it's on him. And it's his word, and we'll talk about that in just a second too. But look at what Paul says here to Timothy. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. That's all they have to do, preaching and teaching, in order to get paid well. They don't have to do a thousand other things. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Again, two random isolated scriptures that Paul puts in here. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know that we're supposed to do that. And yet there he is. So, for me, as I read through those passages of scripture... The idea of giving 10% of my income with no strings attached. Not, I'm going to give you 10%, Lord, but I'm going to decide where it goes. No. He didn't say, give, 10, give your tithe in the Old Testament, and then uh, Abraham didn't tell Melchizedek, make sure this goes here and this goes there. and this. 10% off the top, general fund, boom. Sometimes in the church, we like to use our tithe as leverage and control. I like to decide where my money goes. Or, you know, I'm a tither, so I should get a say in what happens. Or I should get... that. You won't find those passages anywhere in the Scripture. 
And so when we use money as a weapon, we do not understand. And as I've already said, I believe that when we tithe, it teaches us to trust the Lord. It teaches us to fear the Lord. It teaches us to give out of that. And then those funds are used to take care of those who teach, who preach, who they take care of the poor, the orphans, the widows. Again, that's what the Bible says. So you need to take those passages, you need to pray into them, and you need to decide, do I tithe? The Bible also talks about giving. In, I'm not, don't, don't panic. I'm not going to give you a lot of scriptures here. I'm just going to give you some terms. He talks about beyond the tithe because the tithe isn't the end. It's the beginning. We're supposed to give from our surplus. So once I give 10%, then I give extra that I have. And some people are like, how do I give extra? I, I don't think I have any. I know people that give 90% of their income and live off of 10. They started at 10. Then they tried like 15. Then they tried like 20. Then they tried like 25. And as they were faithful, because we all say, well, you know, if I made more, I would tithe. No, you wouldn't. The Bible clearly says what you do with little is what you'll do with more. That's what the Bible says. So if we won't do it with what we have, we won't do it later. We're lying to ourselves. There's also sacrificial giving. We, they gave out of their extreme poverty. The widow gave two mites. They gave out of what they have. I meet people that tell me, you know, Pastor, I tried to tithe, but it didn't work. And they drive a Cadillac Escalade. Uh-huh. Or, you know, they, they live in a house that they can't afford. Well, I work hard. I deserve it. I deserve that boat. I deserve that cabin. I deserve that vacation. I deserve these things. Well, that's fine. Just don't tell me that you tried to tithe and it didn't work. It could always work, but sometimes we have to make a sacrifice. There's also faith giving. Faith giving is what we talked about. It's that beyond our ability giving, where God somehow supplies something so that we can give. I don't know how I gave that much. God helped you, but it always follows sacrifice. I love David, a man after God's own heart in 2 Samuel 24. I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord that have cost me nothing. I mean, I'm going to give what hurts me. And then there's the term excessive giving. Excessive giving. That's what we see in the Macedonian church. That's what we see in the Corinthian church. That's what we see in the book of Acts. When's the last time you saw a need and you were so moved that you sold a possession to pay for that need? I can't remember one either. I think we need to grow in the grace of giving. I mean, we all have the, we gotta, I gotta have the best phone. I mean, I gotta have the best everything. Man, no, we don't. It's a lie. It's all a lie. And it keeps us attached to this world. And God's like, I got a way to free you. Start with a tithe and go beyond that. I know that the, the thought comes into our mind. Well, pastor, I, I just can't afford it. I know it's hard. I know it's a step of faith. I thank God for parents that drilled this into my head as a, a child when I would get birthday money. Ten bucks, I would make sure I gave a dollar. Now, it was, unfortunately, I feel like I slipped into legalism because I would feel so guilty if I forgot to tithe on something. And then I, my mom would always tell me the scriptures. Sorry, mom. But she'd be like, when you don't tithe, then the Lord expects you to give uh, double. <laughs> and she had a scripture to back it up. And so I was always like catching up. And 
that's not what it's about, okay? We are in the, an age of grace, and God is not, he's not up in heaven going, okay, I'm going to, no, 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 no. He's like, come on, test me. I want to bless you, but I can't bless you because that blessing is going to come, and you're just going to spend it on yourself. It's just going to cause more problems for you, but if you learn to do this right, I can pour more into you. Then you can give 30%. You can give 50% because you're going to get it. You're going to live generously, and your boss is going to give you a raise because you start working for me, and you live generously at work, and you do more than enough, not so that he sees you, because, but because you know I'm generous, and that's how you want to live. So don't let guilt, and don't let fear, and don't let shame motivate you, and don't let them stop you. That's what Paul says. Don't give under compulsion and don't give reluctantly. Don't be afraid of this. Test the Lord in this. Look for places to sacrifice. Look for places to be accessible. Look for places to give from your surplus. Because here's the thing. All of us say, if I would have asked you, hey, how many of you need a financial miracle? Hands would go up all over the place. What are you sowing? And I know it could be an extreme teaching. But I got to tell you a story. I've been waiting to tell you this. And I might go a couple minutes over, but I love the story. And it just happened today. Because I was here, and I asked permission to tell it because I had to tell it. So I'm here, and I'm working, getting ready. In fact, last night, I'm in my kitchen. And I'm like, you know, tomorrow's sermon is one that, you know, I, it's a necessary one, but I'm not really excited to preach it. I mean, I am because it's a teachy one, and I love teaching sermons. I love to dig into the Word, but I'm like, it's giving, and I know how people act when you talk about giving. They're going to be like, and so I'm just not excited about it. So I'm here this morning, and I'm putting my notes together and, you know, playing some music, and someone's at the door, and the door's still locked, so I go out, and they have an obligation outside of town today, but they wanted to stop by with their tithe check, and so they hand me a check, and uh, it says tithe in the memo, and they look at me and say, I needed to drop off my tithe check. You know I believe in tithing, right? I couldn't afford not to. Their words, not mine. Got to make sure it's the right basket. Then they folded up another check, handed it to me and said, and here's an offering. I got a raise this year, pretty good raise, so I wrote you an offering check. And on the memo, it says offering, $1,000. I'm like, wow, thank you. I said, did, did you know I'm talking about tithing and giving today? No. I said, can I share your story? <laughs> and I, I went through some of what I was going to preach and excessive, and I'm like, can I just share it? Absolutely. I, I said, I won't use your name. Absolutely, you can share it. Let me give you more. There's more? I was so excited. I'm like, give, give me more. And so my family has been pressuring me to ask for a raise. But I told them, I'm not going to ask for a raise. My boss isn't my supply. Their words. God is my supply. Didn't know I was teaching this. God is my supply. And then you know what? I just got a raise. It was a pretty good raise. So unsolicited. They told me the race, annual race. You know what it is? $1,087. They gave the race. And their words, we'll see what God does with that. I'm like, I couldn't make this stuff up. Thank you. I like, literally, I hug, hugged them. <laughs> this is so good. And, you know, Last thing they said, 
You can't outgive God. I have fun trying, but he always comes through. So let's stand, and we're going to pray. And again, here's the thing. I mean, other than that person today, I don't know what people give, and I don't want to know what people give because I want to be able to preach not knowing what you give. So I don't know if you tithe regularly, don't tithe regularly, give excessively, don't give excessively. I don't know. And honestly, I don't care. I'm going to treat you the same. But these are the principles of God, God's word. And when I walk back in this room, the Lord said, don't you ever say, you're not excited about teaching anything from my word. And I said, you're right. And then I remembered a story that someone told me once. Because there was another time I preached on tithing in this church. And there was a young lady that was here that grew up in church but was away from the Lord. She got rededicated. She gave her life back to the Lord when I preached on tithing. Who does that? Still serving the Lord today. So I'm like, God, I am so sorry. I should never said that. We've talked about in prayer. Don't let any idle words come out of your mouth. There they were. But I'm like, I'll never say it again. It's good. Don't take my word for it. Take his word for it. Take the testimony for it and go get your own. And so, Father, help us to trust your word. God, I know that there are some of us in the room today that we're afraid. God, the idea of giving 10% of our income is so big. But God, you are so much bigger. And we know that you are not up in heaven right now with a club telling us we have to give. God, you're up in heaven saying, come on, trust me. Let me cut the ties of greed and materialism off your life. Let me, let me cut the fear and anxiety that you don't think you're going to have enough. Trust me to pour it out on you. Trust me to supply your needs. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us not to just tithe, but, God, to, to be givers, to give generously, to live generously. God, in every area of our lives, at work, may we be the ones that go above and beyond. God, with our neighbors, when we do our yard, we don't just mow right up to the line. But, God, may, may we be generous. May we just keep going and mow the neighbor's lawn. God, when we shovel our sidewalk, we're not going to go up to that little mark. We're going to go all the way. Oh, I don't care if they have a snowblower. God, help us be generous with our lives. Every area of our lives. God, we want to be generous because that's who you are. You lavish love on us. You liberally give us wisdom. You pour out things on us that we don't even deserve. And so help us to just catch it and reflect it. And so, Father, I pray for grace today upon every life. God, that we would be able to give out of that surplus, that we'd be able to give sacrificially, God, that we would go all the way to excessive giving, that we would excel in it just like we excel in anything else. And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony. God, I can't wait to hear in the words of that person what you do with that because you love a cheerful giver. And so, Father, May these words just go deep into our hearts and transform our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go today.